Hello, I'm Alex Rutkeen. I'm a barrister at Third Man Essex Chamber specialising in mental capacity law. And today I'm really pleased to have with me in the shed, Andy Fippen. And anyone who's ever watched or listened to any of these before will know I'm really keen on the person I'm speaking to introducing themselves rather than me trying to do it for them. So, Andy, over to you. Introduce Hello, yourself. Um, so, I'm Andy Pippin. I'm a professor of digital rights um, at Bournemouth University. Um, I guess the day job these days is very much uh, looking at online safety, don't even like the term, but online safety issues um, and how legislation affects it and how um how professionals respond to those issues as well i guess it's kind of where i'm at now and and also trying to completely change the narrative around online safeguarding so that should keep me busy for a couple of years i guess i've been doing this work for about 20 years um mainly with child safeguarding but increasingly around um adult safeguarding issues as well so well that which is where i really want to come on to uh, because that's really where our paths have crossed but actually just why don't you like why don't you like the term online safety that sort of piqued my interest um because if you if you look at a definition of safety it implies um freedom from risk of harm um and i think when we approach these challenges with that perspective we believe we can stop things from happening now given that in the online world most harm occurs as a result of a human being imposing harm on another human being the idea that we can in some way magically wave our technological magic wand and and make it stop is is incredibly naive and it 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 creates a mindset which is quite prohibitive in nature um i far prefer to to look at issues such as risk management risk mitigation harm reduction those sorts of things i think are, are far more pro progressive and i think we've used the term internet safety for quite a long time and i think that's probably why we're in the legislative mess where we are now because there are politicians who believe that that platforms can do this on their own or solve things and and the rest of us can just sit back and put our hands up and if anything goes wrong we go well that's that's meta's fault that is or or that's twitter's fault rather than going well maybe we could have intervened more effectively maybe we could have explored the behaviors that the the person was doing and try and develop an understanding of the risks associated with it you know it it, it just shuts down a more progressive narrative i feel um and i think we definitely need a more progressive narrative in this area these days Okay, so I really, I mean, I really want to hear more about that. And maybe we can sort of think about that from the perspective of, of our paths cross thinking about mm -hmm. adult safeguarding and in particular yeah. thinking about these online issues in, in the context of people with impaired decision making capacity. And so I just really kind of, well, almost can you walk me through your experiences in this world from, you know, you, your, your background of protecting, you know, kind of child issues. And then, and then you sort of come into this world thinking about adults with impaired decision-making capacity and just sort of walk me through you know, Andy's adventures yeah. in, in, in Wonderland. <laughs> I, I think the, the very initial stages, you know, myself and uh, Emma Bond, who's a professor at Suffolk University, who I've worked with for years, we both started off around the same sort of time, which was in the early 2000s, in the early days of the internet. We spend a lot of time talking to people. Um, you know, the, 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 this is an area that is beset by surveys and politicians saying what percentage of the population are doing X or Y, whereas we normally just sort of sit down and talk to people. Um, and talking to young people about uh, how they were using these new online technologies and and then they sort of drop into the conversation things like, oh, yeah, I know he was a perv, but I just blocked him. And you go, oh, sorry, sorry, what? <laughs> because the 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 prevailing narrative is oh you know they they don't know what they're doing and and they're 
massively at risk and things. And, you know, clearly there are some very serious issues around the online world. But but very early on, it was very apparent that the stakeholders around the person they are wishing to safeguard, whether that's a, a child or an adult, um, have the view that that person is entirely passive and they need protecting um, or they are incapable of making any choices for themselves. So they need the adult, generally speaking, to step in and, and prevent these things from happening. Whereas what we were discovering even back in the early days was very much, um, yes, we are aware of risks and we will mitigate risks, but probably the most concerning thing, and this is the thing that hasn't changed in all the time I've been doing it, is um, they wouldn't disclose to people that might be able to provide better support because their view was the disclosure would result in a telling off or a withdrawal of devices. And all these things are probably sort of <laughs> ringing bells in your head now as well, um, or, or prevention from access and all those sorts of things. Because if you have a safety perspective, you'll say, well, how can we best prevent any potential risk of harm from happening? Well, if they're not online, then they're not going to be at risk of harm, are they? not really reflecting upon the horrendous deprivation <laughs> issues that those things might bring up. So we've, like I said, we, we've done a lot of work together over the years, myself and Emma, and it's generally followed that similar narrative. And we've looked at things like teen sexting. We've looked at the relationship between teens and, and pornography. We've looked very broadly at the, the online safety discourse. And then um, Emma mentioned uh, uh, a mutual friend and colleague of yours and I, James Codling, James Codling at, at Cambridgeshire, who is an extremely enthusiastic practitioner around adult safeguarding. And Emma said, you really could do with chatting to this guy. Um, and he introduced, um, I think it was around the same time that RE-A and RE-B had just come out, um, which obviously presented some some interesting thoughts around this in, in terms of mental capacity and all and similar. So there was something of a sense of deja vu, vu, but also this presents some really interesting and more complex challenges because within the child safeguarding world, particularly if you're looking at something like schools, you have statutory duties and you have to deliver on those statutory duties and similar. In the adult safeguarding world, there doesn't seem to be that level of statutory expectation. And also, um, it's a world where um, I very rarely meet anyone who's ever had any training around online issues, mm -hmm. um, but everyone is making decisions for other people on online issues. Um, and, and you get you get this sort of thing, well, 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 I've used Facebook for five years, therefore I can make a, a safeguarding decision on a, uh, on someone with, with complex issues and how I can best keep them safe online. And you kind of go, well, how? You know, I did a talk, it must have been before lockdown now, to um, a large group of practitioners in this area, you know, ranging from uh, judges to occupational therapists to speech and language therapists to uh, psychotherapists, similar and similar, that anyone in this room had any training on online issues, and not a single person had. But, but all of you have made decisions for people. It's like, yeah, don't you think that's a problem? Um, and it's it's kind of, well, in the last, say, four or five years, I've completely changed the view about how I deliver training and, and, and what I write about in these issues, which is, it used to be, can you come to us and talk to us about what a group of people do online and then we can make decisions on how we can best protect them? These days I turn up and go, it doesn't matter what this group of people are doing online, it's how you respond to that group of people that is far more important um, going back to these issues around if 
something harmful has occurred, I will not disclose because I know the outcome from disclosure will be one of four extremely unhelpful outcomes. Um, so it's very much about sort of like trying to develop more of a, a risk mitigation approach, but also maybe pricking the the biases that, that people bring to these decisions as well. I mean, both you and I read judgments from the court protection and, you know, there's uh, a lot of the time where you do see people bringing biases into their statements and into their decisions. And and I think most people engage with it quite well, but it does sometimes upset people. And they go, no, no, it's definitely not bias. No, you know, yeah. there, there have been some, some really interesting conversations I've had in that area. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, that was really triggering thoughts in my mind about the, the work of the, um, the Judging Values Project that by Camilla Kong, that mm-hmm. an awful lot of that is about recognising one's own I mean, nobody can be without bias. What you yeah. have to be is aware, and then you can have the discussion about, well, am I bringing to the table a particular yeah. perspective? And then at least you can have that discussion. But one thing I just want to go back to is, is you know, you mentioned that, that, that you started doing this work. I mean, it was a coincidence of timing almost that you started yeah. doing, you know, sort of doing the adult work at the same time as the, the decision in re-A and, and re-B, which uh, for anyone who, who hasn't seen it, um, this was, as it were, the first time that a judge sat down and grappled with the component parts of what it is that you need to be able to understand, retain, use and weigh in order to be able to make a decision about access in the internet. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, from a sort of legal perspective, it makes sense because you need to identify the information, then you can, as it were, tease out, can the person process it? I'd just be really fascinated in your take on it from, you know, com- almost a completely different perspective. You know, when you're reading the judgment and you see those component parts and you're thinking, well, hang on a minute, you know, I'd just be interested. Were you reading it thinking, well, does that stack up? Or you're thinking, well, that much just meant, you know. Um, uh, for, from my perspective, on the one hand, it was great because this was a group of people who weren't going, right, we've got the answer. They were going, right, what's happened before and what can we learn from that? Um and it was interesting. I'm I'm rubbish with names since COVID, but was it there's a barrister Francesca? Was it Francesca who was involved in there's Victoria uh, Butler Cole? I don't know, that might have been. Might, might, I, I can't remember yeah. the name now. But but I can remember seeing her do a talk and she was saying, Well, you know, we were basically sat around going, We're too old to actually build this guidance on our own. We need to bring a pupil in to ask them. Um, and and that was that 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 really rang some bells because you know in a school setting you'll have someone go, well, we 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 don't know about this stuff, but we've got an early career teacher or we've got a a, a, re- a newly qualified teacher coming in. They're young, they'll know about this stuff. <laughs> Which seems to be all right, you you do this stuff online, therefore you'll understand the complexities and nuances of safeguarding. I think the the statements that that came out of it are really really useful and i think the guidance as it's presented by cob is really really useful because it says basically these are starting points to make a decision my fear when i saw it and it's somewhat been brought out in some um rulings was that it because they become rules mm-hmm. it's like oh, oh they, they failed point four therefore we need to take their phone off them um and that again harks back to the preventative mindset right how can we stop this from happening well if we can find a reason to stop them going online then we know that they are going to be safe Um, and i think more recent judgments have really helped explore the fact that maybe access to social media and the internet is too broad a term because 
you might be doing one thing um, in a risky way. You might be engaging with um, problematic sexual discourse or exchanging illegal content or whatever. But you might also use the platform for keeping in touch with friends or you might be doing online gaming and things. And to take all that stuff away because there is one problematic behavior does strike me as a bit of a worry. But um, it's it's been interesting to see how it's being applied. Certainly, I've, I've done training with practitioners and things where they'll sort of go. But but the cob thing says that, that they don't know how to do their privacy settings. And you go, well, find me an adult who doesn't have. Uh, mental capacity issues or learning difficulties that is absolutely 100% hot on these sort of things. My fear is that the bar is set too high and if it's applied as rules rather than guidance um, you can end up with some fairly poor decisions being made that probably wouldn't even reach the court of protection. Um, um, so you've got all these things happening within the social care world that can end up with some fairly poor outcomes for individuals. That's my concern. But as a, a starting point for discussion and as um, a useful piece of guidance, I think it's very good. But I do think, yeah, yeah, it needs to be applied with pragmatism. And there isn't a lot of pragmatism in online safeguarding. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, you you highlight, I mean, a really important point, which actually goes across the piece. I mean, I've been thinking about something completely different just recently in terms of how the, how people are interpreting judgments about young people with anorexia and when do you mm -hmm. stop treating and there have been a, string, a number of cases where the decision is don't treat and people transition to palliative care, really. It's mm -hmm. accurate. You don't never stop mm -hmm. treating. And there sort of seems to be people thinking, well, the courts have said that, therefore we always do that. Yeah. And it's it's exactly the same thing. Mr. Justice Cobb was never saying this is the kind of canon and the Court of Appeal yeah. were very clear. He wasn't saying this is the canon. These are... This, as you say, is a starting point, which then also would need to be tailored to the facts of the case, because there might be something yeah. additional that person needs to know. There might conversely be something which is not on this list, which is not remotely relevant to that individual. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, I think this is, I think you you are flagging up a really important point about legal literacy. You know, mm -hmm. you know, how do you read a judgment? What do you think a judgment? You know, what do you think yeah. a judgment is telling you? Um, and it's also, I suspect, it's partly down to, I mean, if, if no one has any training. And everyone is all slightly blundering about you then get this judgment and then people are going well thank god somebody has said something yeah, yeah. and then it kind of can, can get concretized so i, I think I, yeah i i think as well it's how that is articulated back to practitioners as well yeah. and which is again, something we've done with james but but we've done some work and sort of going you know how have you updated your care team whatever around the the rea rebeat decisions and we put it in an email, we put it in our monthly briefing and things. Well, it's kind of like, well, it's, that's not enough. Um, because if you've got someone who's bringing their own biases to this and now you've almost got, it was like, oh, I've got permission to take their phone off them because they failed points one and four. Um, you know, it, it, it needs to have a, a, a greater depth of discussion, I, I feel. And, and yeah, sadly, sometimes that's missing in, in the highly pressured world of social care where, where there's far too few resources and, and not enough time. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I mean, there's time, there's 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 resources, there's also that defensive practice which can creep in where yeah. you think if it goes wrong, who's going to stand behind me? And you know, yeah. actually, what I was trying to do was do proper sensible risk mitigation. You know, it's I can that. remember a really, I mean, a, a brilliant example that really highlights that was talking to an educational psychologist who were, was working with an, an older teenager with learning difficulties who'd said they want to access pornography. Um, and I said, well, what did you say? And she said, well, I told them to stay away from it. I said, but 
they're not going to. And and the fact you're saying don't do it and you're not providing them with advice such as, you know, stay on the mainstream sites that, you know, if you're staying on stuff like Pornhub, then it's unlikely you're going to veer into illegal content. If you don't give them that advice and they end up on a tour browser accessing illegal content, that's going to be a far poorer outcome for them. She said, yes, but if I did do that, the parents would complain to my boss and I'd probably get disciplined or sacked, which I think was, you know, really problematic. <laughs> she, she, she knew it was not ideal, but in her view, there was far too high a professional risk in providing progressive advice. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, all of those things where it's on the edges of taboo or morally challenging, all of those things where, as you yeah. say, and if there's, especially if there's going to be a third party around who said, yeah, absolutely. And, it, and also, if it then gets written down anywhere, then people are going, you what? I mean, <laughs> because it can be so easily reframed as, you know, actively encouraging somebody to seek out, in, you know, yeah, unsuitable yeah. stuff, as opposed to, well, as you say, well, if this, if this individual is going to do it anyway, then it's thinking about, well, what's the least harm, well, how it wants to put it, the least harmful way of achieving it. So, yeah. no, absolutely. I mean, pornography is a brilliant one anyway. I was having a, discussion stroke argument with someone a while ago because they were saying that they thought it was terrible and disgraceful and, and it was corrupting society. It's like, well, if it is, given the volume of consumption, why haven't sex crimes gone up massively in the last 15 years? So unfortunately, the unpalatable fact is that pornography exists because people consume it, because these providers are not doing it because they're nice people. Uh, and you get into these interesting discussions around how horrible and all. It's like, well, take a step back, take an objective position on it, I would much rather society wasn't consuming massive amounts of pornography, but it is. And why wouldn't someone, for example, with learning difficulties also want to consume pornography if they have sexual urges and similar? It, 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 again, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit like the same sort of things as, well, they've, they've exchanged nudes. It's like, yeah, them and millions of other people. Well, I wouldn't do it. It's like, yeah, but you not doing it doesn't mean that they're not going to do it and doesn't mean that, that you have to, um, take a view that what they've done is bad. What they've done is the same as lots and lots of other people as well. Let's understand the risks associated with what they've done instead. Yes. I mean, of course, it does get into some really ethically, well, ethically slash legally, probably legally challenging territory where you do have, I mean, we've got every so often judges making very, I mean, for instance, District Judge Eldergill quite often does that really important statement of, you know, incapacity is not the, the basis upon which you kind of uh, provide morality. I've got it yeah. wrong. But, you know, in other words, <laughs> just because the person has capacity, you're not then, as we're doing moral policing. Yeah. But you do have, of course, there is a distinction between if somebody's got capacity to make their own decisions, then it's, you know, morally and legally on them. Yeah. If somebody doesn't have capacity, then morally and legally it starts not being quite so much on them and i think it's it's how some of it's around those discussions with the individual as you were talking about you know mm -hmm. thinking with with the individuals around them about partly are you projecting your own views about right or wrong are you inadvertently getting the person in trouble you know are there things yeah, yeah. so i think it is I mean, I, I, all of which is, a, you know, we're sort of beginning to run tight on time, but this is partly because I, I really wanted to talk to you, partly because of the, the, the book you've written with Emma, mm -hmm. because I think it is so interesting and so important about really trying to think through how one does. And I, I love the fact that the title of the book is Perspectives on Rights to Participation. Mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. think that's a really nice framing. 
Yeah. So in the last kind of couple of minutes, this is not kind of a shameless plug, but in the last <laughs> couple of minutes, I'd just be really interested in your take on, you know, what do you think the key messages are for people who are trying to come about this from a perspective of my job is not just to stop. My job is to try and, and promote participation. You know, what, what do you think the, you know, the, the key things are? I think one of them comes from the rulings, which is very much, you know, the person needs to be given the opportunity to demonstrate they don't have capacity rather than assuming they don't. But I think the other thing, the most important thing, and I, I say this sort of across the board with professionals, is you don't have to make this decision on your own. There is a network of people that can provide that support. I, I, I see judgments where you have someone who is an expert witness and they are clearly extremely capable, for example, as a psychologist dealing with people with autism, for example. However, there doesn't seem to be anything on their CV that says they've got any experience at all with online issues. So why is that person then becoming the expert on online issues? You know, reach out and speak to other people as well. You know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I still There are still a number of people I will reach out to for sanity checks about something go right am i right on this and i think that's that's a really important thing and that's something certainly we've been trying to do with with james and things is, is like no one has to have all the answers i think sometimes there is a lot of pressure to make the decision and it's it's almost easier to take the the more conservative view of well if they haven't got the phone then they're not going to be engaging in this problematic behavior mm. rather than going well what could we do maybe we could develop an education package well how do we develop an education package well let's speak to some people who can give us some advice on developing an education package and then if three months down the road we can demonstrate the education package hasn't worked well maybe we can look for stronger technical intervention or whatever but but a starting point of technical intervention all these horrible situations where right i need passwords to your phone because i need to spot check your phone whenever i like because i need to make sure you're safe this seems to be a just really problematic <laughs> Um, so, so you know, have, don't think you've got to make the decisions in isolation, and and you can reach out to people and and talk to people about it, and um, and yeah, you know, it's it's very much a, a network that provides the 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 more progressive support. But but I I do think you know the the fundamental thing is understand it from a risk perspective. Don't understand it from a prevention perspective, because they're going to go out and they're going to get another burner phone that you don't know about, or or they're going to get or an abuser is going to send them another piece of technology in the mail or something. So if you don't have an environment where disclosure is um, likely, then it's going to be more problematic than um, if you have got a disclosure first approach or a, a, a more supportive response. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a really key message. Um, Andy, thank you so much. Um, it, it, it's, there are actually so many aspects of this I'd love to be able to keep talking to you about. Um, and I'm sure it's triggered lots of thoughts in people's minds. And I'm sure there are many things they go, oh, hang on a minute, right, you know, that's a rabbit hole I'd like to have gone down. But I I always try and keep these roughly to 20 minutes just, just for, you know, know attention yeah, yeah. spans, fans, basically. But, it's um, a good length, yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, put, I'll put a link to the book um, if Brilliant. you Thank do you. want to look, because it is, it's, it's, uh, because what I, as I said, what I really like about it is it isn't it isn't just safety first, and it's very practical, and it's trying to think mm -hmm. things through. Um, so, brilliant! Thank you so much for your time, Andy. Pleasure. Good to see you.